Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome back, everybody. Do we like cliches or do we hate them? I mean, I'm kind of on the fence about cliches because, come on, some of them are totally overused. Here's one. Every cloud has a silver lining. Don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, these are so old. Stop already. And by the way, if you want to sound smart, there's usually a Shakespearean version of cliches because those of you who have been listening to me, you know mom was a Shakespearean theater actress so I was force-fed them. So don't say, when it rains, it pours. It's so unoriginal. Shakespeare put it way more elegantly. Shakespeare said, wrap your mind around this, it's so brilliant. When troubles come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. But here's a cliche we use a lot on this podcast, and I'm sticking with it. If you can dream it, you can do it. My guest today went from being unable to afford a ticket to a Broadway show, to writing a play that blasted its way onto the Broadway stage. Jordan Cooper was writing plays as soon as he could spell. As a kid growing up in the suburbs of Dallas-Fort Worth, he penned a play in kindergarten. He was always dreaming of being a playwright. And at college, he literally willed it to happen. He wrote a play called Ain't No Mo while studying at the New School of Drama in New York City. And you're like, yeah, so I know a lot of people who who wrote plays in, in high school and college, right? How did that play not only make it to Broadway, but with Jordan acting in it as well and then nabbing six Tony nominations? Here to give us the one-act podcast version is playwright Jordan Cooper. So good to have you it's here. So good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I get to see you in person. And I'm, I'm, I'm a fan because as a Tony Award voter, I watch everything. Yes. And your story to me is so amazing. I said, I have to share it with our listeners. We kind of gloss over it, but you wrote a play in kindergarten? <laughs> yeah, I was a, I was a weird kid. I, <laughs> I, I just, I love storytelling. Um, my parents, I was talking with my mom last night, and she was reminding me how, like, when I was a little kid, I never used to watch movies. I would watch people watch movies. And I would watch their reactions and I would, I would watch them laugh and when they laughed and how they laughed and how big of a laugh was it. And I would kind of take this formula and kind of put it into my thing so I would know how much to put in the recipe to get what reaction. It was very, I was, I just loved entertaining people and I just loved storytelling. Well, where does that come from? I mean, your parents weren't in theater or the no, arts. No, no, not at all. My dad works at American Airlines. My mom works at a children's hospital and, you know, I I I don't really know to be honest. I I just I just didn't know how to do anything else or I rather I would I would prefer not to do anything else. Like I played sports, I played football, I played basketball, all the things, but I was a kid at basketball practice reading wicked. Like I was <laughs> <laughs> 
that was my life. Um, and so it was so interesting, you know, growing up in Texas, which is, you know, football country. Oh, you know? yeah. Friday Night Lights. Listen, all the things. So it was interesting, you know, growing up in a space that wasn't necessarily um, progressive as far as the performing arts, um, but still supported the performing arts, you know. Um, and so, yeah, my parents, they they were super supportive. And I'm, I'm parenting is so important in terms of how people you know, even when they don't understand their child, they still push them and say, okay, that's what you want to do. I'll drive you to rehearsals. I'll drive you to this. I'll drive you to that. Um, because I can only imagine what my life would be now had my parents, you know, shunned me for for putting on plays in the living room or like I would cut up my mom's weave and like cut up my dad's work <laughs> uniform and make costumes and do all these things, you know. Uh, but it, 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 for some reason, they just let me go. You know, they they were like, if that's what he wants to do, we'll let him do it. We know nothing about it. But, and who you know. would you recruit in kindergarten and elementary school to be in these plays? Yeah. So originally it was I would play a lot of characters. I would probably play about three or four characters and then I would get my cousins. So I could not wait <laughs> until my cousins came into town for Christmas or, you know, Thanksgiving or something. And I could like put them in my plays and make them characters. And, and would they roll their eyes and say, Jordan, not absolutely. again? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, oh, my, here he comes with this camcorder. Oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I just couldn't help myself and then the older I got so so once I started stopped doing them in the living room then my mom asked the pastor at my church if I could put on my plays after church there he said yes so then I started getting choir members like adult it was all always adults because I always wrote adult stories and what were the themes of these stories usually forgiveness usually um, love, usually triumph um, in some way, shape, or form, which is so interesting to think about as an adult because it feels like I was writing things that I had no idea about. Um, but for some reason, they would just be coming out of me, and these things would just come. And to the point where, you know, we're in this little church in in, in, in North Richland Hills, Texas, and then every time I would put on a new play, it would be packed wall to wall with people f- driving in from Dallas, driving in from- people I have I don't know. Seriously, you know, literally people I had I had never met in my life, people that the cast had never met in their lives, started hearing about these plays at this church and started coming. That must have been so affirming to you that this is what you were meant to do on this earth. Yeah, it really was. It re- it really really was. But thinking about it and doing something in a church theater or basement is totally different from okay, you've got to get formal training. Yes. Uh-huh. And so how did the new school in New York City I mean, this is a big drama school, very hard to get accepted to. How did that come about? Yeah, so I I really just wanted to be in New York um, because everything that I— First of all, Lauren Arda SVU, that was was everything to me. Um, But also, I just wanted to be near Broadway, and I I wanted to be near theater and— and really in in the arts epicenter, as I call it. Um, but I, I, I just kept going and going. And so when I was in middle school, I started the drama department there. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, you yeah. began the drama department. Yeah, there was like a yeah, it was like a drama club that I started because they didn't really have anything. But I was like, oh, I feel like we should be putting on plays and we should be doing things. And they're like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to do. Um, and so I did that. But that's why when I got to high school, I was so excited because I was like, yo, there's a theater department. I don't have to like wrangle people together anymore. Like I can just show up and go to class, which was amazing. Um, and I met some amazing people. Um, but there was this one instance when I first got to school where uh, it was the fall, you know, everybody wants to do the fall play. 
And it was me and this other girl. Her name was Serafina. And we were the only two black people in the entire theater department. And we were so excited to audition for this play. And we go and we audition. And the teacher pulls us both aside afterwards. And she's like, Jordan, Jordan, you're so good. You're so good. But, you you know, you're just not right for this role, right? And we'll pull her aside and we're like, Serafina, you're so good. You're so good. But, you know, I just can't give you this role because you would have to be romantic with a white boy on stage. And it would look like peanut butter and tuna on stage together. Stop. Literally, quote, word for word. Stop. And I'm, I'm, I need valid proof that somebody <laughs> is that stupid. Listen, and this is the gag. The gag is that we were cast as shadows and we wore Blackmore suits and brought things on and off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make it up. You can't make it up. But I remember being so upset. That I, but I always met opposition with with. There's something about being underestimated that is just fuel. It's 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 really the thing that just pushes me in a, in a new way. And I was angry, but I, I'm not. I'm not gonna sit here and argue with you. I'm not gonna tell on you. I'm not gonna. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna write a play. I'm gonna show you. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta write a play. So I wrote a play, and I cast Serafina and myself, and I got the prettiest white boy in school to play her husband. And we sold out the weekend. We made her like $600 off of 200 tickets in a weekend. Come on. Yeah, and that ended up being my first professionally produced play because DVA Productions, a theater company in Fort Worth, came and saw it, and they ended up putting it on. Um, and I was 16 at that point. And so I, I just had my eyes set on, you know, getting here. Um, so as the years went on, I kept putting on my plays, kept doing my things. And then um, when I was a senior in high school, I was working at this place called Jubilee Theater. Um, and it was, they were so kind to like, um, because first I was like, I was building sets. I just wanted to be a part of it. So I was building sets. I was, you know, wiping up the 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 the, the dookie on the bathroom floor. I don't know why there's dookie <laughs> on the bathroom floor of a theater. Uh, like you could, you were right there in the stall. How did it get up right now? Just ridiculous. But I would clean it up and I would pick up the programs and sell concessions and all just because I wanted to be in the space. And then the artistic director saw that I was doing my own thing outside. And he was like, oh, like we can make you the artist in residence and you can like assist and direct and you can, you know, write a play and we'll put it on and all these good things. So I ended up doing a play and um, it was like a pay what you can production. And the, the, the money from that production ended up helping me get through my first year of college at the new school. Well, otherwise you wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, I mean, it would have been hard. It would have been. I still got student loans to this day, but oh, it would have been. Goodness. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy. But it 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 helped. I think also this idea of community is very deeply linked in my career. This idea of really making work for the people, and when you make work for community, community shows up for you. There is you know? nothing like the community of the theater world. It's not something yeah. that I am so familiar with, but I saw it with my mom, who, of course, was mm. a theater actress, formerly trained Royal Academy, and she gave it up to raise five kids yeah. in California. Wow. And when she went back to it, when, as she liked to joke, when my brother, Brooke, who was finally turned 17, she said, I've, he finally turned 17 and I could stop cutting his meat for him <laughs> at the dinner table. <laughs> She went marching to the Globe Theater on wow. Santa Monica Boulevard and auditioned and landed the part of Paulina in one of the wow. Shakespearean plays. And from then on, she she began acting. It's hard for older actresses, but you, as a playwright, said, I'm going in. I'm going to do it all. And then you're at school and you write this play, Ain't No Mo. And by the way, for those of you who haven't heard about it, it was a sensation on Broadway. 
it's sort of this alternate present where the United States government – this is so crazy. I don't know how you came up with this <laughs> – put out a forward program to buy, what, every black person in America who wanted one, a one-way ticket to Africa. Yeah. Where'd you come up with that, yeah. my friend? Yeah, it was a wild story. I always say, you know, I'm that guy who has to find something to laugh about at a funeral, you know. <laughs> I'm Come sit next to me. Literally, I'm literally, literally. I'm like, why is her wig crooked? Why is she wearing a bra? <laughs> you know, Jesus will let her be free in the afterlife. Why is she wearing a bra? <laughs> She's going six feet under. And I just was in one of those spaces in my life where specifically, you know, there were there were all these protests and so many killings by police of of young black unarmed men and women. And and I had my own run in with a police officer at a 7-Eleven on 14th Street and I was going in to get a Slurpee Mm -hmm. and I reached up for the nozzle and there was a police officer next to me and I reached up for the nozzle to, you know, get the slushy and he put his hand on his gun and I immediately like put my hand up and he kind of like laughed like, huh? And then went to go put coffee, you know, mm. in, in with his sugar, and it was it was kind of like very mundane for him. But to me, it was very like serious. I really could have lost my life over a dollar seventy five cents slushy with high fructose corn syrup. You know, I want to like, laugh, but I'm not yeah. laughing. <laughs> like it's like I really could have, you know. And I remember going back home and and really just contemplating my own worth in a way. Um, and what does it all mean? And why do we all put up with it? Why have we, you know, we fight, we fight, we fight, but why are we still here? Why are we still fighting? And I think came this question of like, well, what if we all just left, right? And I think that writing the play was kind of my answer to why not. Um, this 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 idea of we watch all these people around the country decide whether or not they're getting on the final plane out of America. And you took the role of the flight attendant, Peaches. 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 For which, (laughs) by the way, you guys, he got a Tony Award nomination. You know, there are actors who toil for decades to get just a nomination. And boom, your debut, you get one. (laughs) Crazy. It was wild. It was wild. It was wild because I was watching... Thankfully, I was at home in Texas at that point, and they were showing it on, I believe it was like, uh, I believe it was um, CBS This Morning. Um, and they were, you know, they were playing the names and saying the names of, of everyone. The, and for was, the nominations. For the nominations, yeah. And I was sitting there with my parents uh, when they called my name and they called the show. And I was sitting in the exact same living room where I used to do my plays. I, I'm literally speechless right now. What was that moment like for you? Um, it was overwhelming. I think that um, the little boy in me was so proud in that moment and so happy for me because I used to sit in the living room and watch the Tony nominations just because I was a fan. And to think that I'm in this living room where ghosts of my younger self is, you know, putting together costumes and and putting up signs saying show at 7 o'clock in the living room and, you know, and... Just to know that I've I've gotten to that moment was um, indescribable. It was indescribable. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we're going to be right back. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the debut itself, and what's interesting is, if, for those of you who don't know, you don't just jump onto Broadway stage. You start off-Broadway. Mm. You started off-Broadway at the very famous public theater. It's called yeah. The Public, which yeah. is where Hamilton got its start. Yeah. And through all of that, you won an Obie Award. Obie Awards are very prestigious. Yeah. Very prestigious. I attended that Obie Awards. Really? And are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. And I'm looking and I'm realizing, why have I not gone to the Obies before? This is the most genuine example of joy mm. and community. Even yeah. those who didn't win were hugging and high-fiving yeah. you guys. It's much looser than, yeah. and now the American Theater right. Winning Tony <laughs> Award goes to. Right. Yeah. But... You started off Broadway. Were there moments where you thought, is this ever going to make it to the big Broadway stage? Yeah, I think that I think that why well, I knew that the play was was not your typical, you know, American theater play. Um, so I was always interested in how people would respond to it. Um, but when we got to the public, you know, we, we were extended like three times prior, you know, mm-hmm post-closing, post when we were supposed to close. So it was a, it was just, and Steven Spielberg came and, and um, uh, Angela Davis came and um, Anna Wintour came and all these people who, Queen Latifah, like all these people who I look up to were, were coming and Steven Spielberg said it was the most cinematic play he'd ever seen. That is a, such an interesting compliment. How, describe for our listeners, is it cinematic? Yeah, I think I think because of the scope of it, how big it is, um, and how it's directed as well. Uh, Stevie Walker Webb, the director, um, who's been my best friend since the New School, we met at the New School, and he's from Texas too, but we never met in Texas, which is crazy. Mm. Um, but it's it's just it's very um, it's very fast, it's very big, um, and it just kind of moves in a way that not traditional theater moves you know it moves it moves kind of it's almost an amalgam of comedy satire uh, church uh, sermons history pop culture yeah all of that mixed up yeah literally it was a it's 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 a it's a wild ride when you found oh wait and carol burnett came which i was so (laughs) upset about Because I am, I love comedy. I love old school comedy. So when I first moved to New York to go to a new school, Carol Burnett was doing a show on Broadway. And I I couldn't afford a ticket, but I waited at the stage door just to meet Carol Burnett. Right? I waited the whole show. Tell me why. The show's finally over. Everybody's loading out. I'm like, ah, here she comes, here she comes, here she comes. 
and I hear a, 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 a horn honk and I turn to my left and it's and it's her hand waving out of an SUV. How did she squeeze out without you seeing? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> but then to, to realize that I've waited all these years to meet Carol Burnett and she actually saw my work and oh. I didn't get a chance to meet her. Oh. But it was it was just like, I was just honored. It was so many people, you know, really support Whoopi Goldberg. Like, just... Just, it was do they ridiculous. tell you, does the stage door, uh, you know, the, do the people backstage say, oh, my God, Spielberg's in the audience? Yes. How, does that, how does that affect you before you even stand on stage to start the play? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting because there's some people who you would never know because you're not really looking in the audience. But in this show, the audience is so there are moments where the, we see the audience so clearly because the lights are up. Yes. So you see everybody. But it's um. That's a great question. It doesn't really affect me unless, like, for instance, like, um, I like because because I wrote it. So I, a lot of times I'll have a lot of fun, especially with the character of Peaches, where I'll like ad lib on 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 the stage. You know, uh, one time I was like, I called out Gail King, or one time, you know, oh, because she was said, in the audience. Yeah, yeah, she was in the audience. Or one time, uh, Queen Latifah, and I said, you and I, T U I, you know, what I mean? like just the <laughs> I just have fun with it in a lot of way. It makes it feel alive. Uh, so in those ways, it influences. But I never like. I never get nervous when those people are there because I think I, I'm just so grateful and honored for the opportunity to give to them what they always give to me. And then you get the call. You're going to Broadway, the Belasco Theater, yeah, which is a, an august place. Uh, some of the greatest actors of all time, the greatest plays of all time have played on that stage. Yeah. But this was a different experience for someone like you. Explain yeah. why. Yeah, it was it was different for so many reasons. So, the balcony at the Belasco. First of all, Belasco Theater is a gorgeous theater. Um, it was. It, it has so much history. It's so rich. Um, David Belasco was, you know, a, a genius in a lot of ways. Um, but specifically, you know, when we think about Broadway and how, you know, there are structures in place that aren't necessarily for people of color, you know what I mean? And historically. And, you know, while we're having those conversations and some people, you know, are thinking, no, everybody's the same, everything works the same, you know. It's, a, it's so interesting to be in the space of the Belasco Theater and look up at the third, third balcony because there's a beautiful third balcony at the top but on that third balcony, there's also an entrance that comes directly from the street. You got to go up the stairs, and I found out that that was actually the colored balcony, specifically Back just in the for day. yeah, just for for colored people, um, so they couldn't interact with the people on the other two tiers, and it was so interesting and so um, poignant. Yeah, very poignant to to be doing a show as big and as bold and as black as a nomo in a space that still holds this kind of um physical representation of you know this kind of supremacy in a way um and it's so interesting when i have conversations with people who are like you know ah uh, it's it doesn't really exist like everybody has the same you know everybody's the same race um but that's completely contradicting to contradictory to the fact that there's this physical representation of it. So if the physical representation of it can still exist, then there must still be an emotional, intellectual, you know, financial barrier. Yeah. And 
apparently I was the youngest black playwright to ever be on Broadway. Oh, it's just crazy. Since Lorraine Hansberry. Yeah, since Lorraine Hansberry. Who wrote Raisin in the Sun. Like, what? Like, that's such a, what shoes to follow in, you know what I mean? Um, And then also, you know, I think I learned so much about myself in this moment. Um, which has been the most valuable lesson that I've taken away from the entire experience of Ain't No Mo. Because like you said, you know, off-Broadway, huge success um, financially. Then COVID happened. We were supposed to go to London, and then we were supposed to take a London production to Broadway. And then COVID happened and shut everything down. Um, so we were like two years, you know, sitting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally t- the time came, and theater was just different. Theater is different. You can't... You know, audiences are a little bit different after COVID. You know, if they come into town, they want to they want to spend a lot of money on Back to the Future, the musical. You know, mm-hmm. they want to spend money on things that they know are sure bet. Clap along kind you know? of show. Yeah, like something where I know the music. I know the, you know, something familiar, um, which is interesting when you bring in like original works like Ain't No Mo, you know what I mean? Where it's something that's not based off of anything familiar. So the marketing has to be very strategic and very different, right? And I think that what I learned going to Broadway was, you know, I as a theater maker, you're like, oh, this is the promised land. This is the holy grail. And then at some point you realize that I, I I couldn't really afford to just focus on the work being the best it possibly could because the marketing system of of Broadway and theater in general in a lot mm-hmm. of ways is is it markets towards a very specific audience. Yeah, it's a it, machine. Yeah, it markets towards, you know, everybody wants to see Bette Miller and Hello Dolly, right? Which is like, I want to see Bette Miller and Hello Dolly. <laughs> but like not everybody does, right? So it's... um. I think I realized that that I was leaning so much on this dream that I had since a ki- since I was a kid that I thought I could just focus on the work when in reality I still had to kind of have that hustle that I had when I was a kid, you know, because when I first moved to New York, I was standing in I was standing in Times Square outside of Richard Rogers Theater where Hamilton is and passing out flyers to see my shows, you know. And I think that what I learned was, you know, you have to work just as hard on the mountain as you do in the valley you know this idea that you can't necessarily depend on what's worked before for other people to work for you um and it was just such a it hurt it was a it was a sad lesson but it was so beautiful well it's a reality check yeah and yet you slayed it because (laughs) you had Your family in the front row. Yeah. You had your friends in the front row. Yeah. And it is in a way like because I I equate a lot of things being Jewish. I think to myself, you know, Hitler wanted to kill all of us. Mm -hmm. We're still here. Right. We're and, And he's not. Hello. Yeah. Uh, Hello. Uh Hello. Um, And so that to me is the ultimate victory. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 beautiful because you can feel the the ancestry in the room. You can feel the spirit, the spiritual aspect. And the the Belasco Theater is is reported to be one of the haunted theaters of Broadway. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because people have seen his ghost, um, the ghost of the theater owner David Belasco, as well as they say there's a woman in blue who who walks around. A lot, and people have seen in bathrooms. That's just like Bette that. Midler hoping to get back on stage. Hello, <laughs> like, come on now. Right, right. She, she loves the limelight, and right. she deserves it. <laughs> Tell me about what you're doing now. 
Yeah, so now uh, I just finished filming this um, boxing film that got a uh, acting waiver for the, from SAG um, because of the SAG strike, you know, all the mm-hmm. ridiculous things that are going on sure. with AMPTP. But um, it was a it was a complete jump from Peaches because, you know, Peaches is a drag queen and, you know, a very feminine character. Um, and the character that I play in Uppercut was just, you know, I had to get buff. I had to train for multiple months to really get ready to box. And action film acting is a whole nother. It's a whole nother thing. Uh, so that um, as well as um, we're going into season four of my television show. Uh, the Miss Pat Show, which was a sitcom that I created. Yeah, when I was in college, I created that actually, which is ridiculous. That I, I wrote the first episode, and now we're like a two-time Emmy-nominated television show. You have got to be kidding! You're a mogul. <laughs> I try. I try. You are a mogul. <laughs> Thank you. But to me, you have maintained that kid in the living room joy that just emanates from you. Thank you. Well. How do you envision Broadway in the future for you? Um, At some point, do you have to decide, I'm either going to be the playwright or I'm going to be the actor? No, I mean, it it all depends on the story, right? Because I never want to push myself and put myself in a story where it doesn't make sense to have me there. A lot of people do that, and you can usually tell, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, I I have no problem going back to Broadway. I love Broadway with a passion. And I always say there's this idea of, like, sometimes you have to love something so hard that it has to make room for you. Um, and Broadway is just, I'm never going to stop being a Broadway baby and I can't wait to get back and get back to audiences. And there was nothing like meeting, you know, over a thousand new people every night, you know, eight times a week, just, just, and, and the show just must, there's something about that adrenaline of the show must go on. There was, I've never told anybody this, but there was a performance where I was doing the final scene of the show, which is very active. Um, for me and I'm the only person on stage and my shoulder actually popped out of place what how yeah Yeah, it like I was supposed to do this thing where I was holding a bag and then I was supposed to fall fall backwards right so Mm -hmm. I put my hands up in the air right when I put my right arm in the air went and thankfully it was a distressed scene so I I had to fall and when I fell it like popped back into place (laughs) stop Fall back in the place, and I had to hold my arm for the rest of the scene. But nobody had any idea because it was that was it, it just kind of you know. But it was one of those things where I, I just love audiences so much. I value audiences, and I I just um, I had to see us to the end of the story. You what know? people don't understand about being on stage is that it is a different movie every night because Literally. the audience and the audience's energy mm-hmm. is different every night. Yeah. And I sit there thinking, and I remember asking my mom after we saw a, an unbelievable play about Judy Garland called Under the Rainbow. <gasps> and really? the the actress, uh, oh, she won tons of stuff. And, and I said afterward, we were leaving the theater and it was late. It was like on a Thursday. And mom and mm. I were just walking through the streets of New York. And I said, mom, She's exhausted. Because Wednesdays, for those of you who don't know, they do two shows. They do the matinee and they do the evening. And eight shows, you do two on Saturday. I said, Mom, over and over. And by the way, she originated it on the London stage. which And she ran for three years there. It's like, and now she's a year here. Don't you get bored? My mom stopped. Teeny little thing with the red hair. She was like Joan Collins (laughs) with red hair. She stops. She looks at me and she says, and we love it. But we she do. was dead we really serious. It's like, how can you be so thick, Liz? Wow. This is what 
we live for. And, yeah. and I am cheering you on, Jordan. Thank you. Thank Jordan, you. come back to Broadway. I can't wait yes, to be. Yes, I can't wait either. In, hopefully as close as I can be to the stage screaming for yeah. you. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait to get back. I can't. Thrilled to have you and to hear this story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So this is definitely one of my favorites out of the hundreds that we have done. I just, oh, my cheeks are hot right now because I feel so good. But there are a couple of things I hope you take away from what Jordan said. And number one is you are that kid. Reach back to what your dream was and then go for it no matter how old you are, how old you feel. It's never too late to become what you might have been. Now, Jordan got a head start. He was always diving in. But I, I hope that you you realize and you sense from his story that if you can dream it, you will do it. You put in the work and uh, from the valley to the mountaintop, go for it. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will see you Monday through Friday on the Claim and Countdown. Uh, but as I always say, a huge thank you. I'm reaching out. Do you feel it? I'm reaching out and hugging all of you for taking the time to listen. I'll hear you next time. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 